Hello there, it's Friday, which means it's time once again for the best movie podcast ever. The only movie podcast to offer objective and hyperbole-free discussion of every movie in the known universe. I am your host, the podcaster with no name, Conrad. And with me as always, he's been walking without rhythm for some time, it's Anthony James. Good afternoon, good evening, good night. Hello, Conrad, how are you? I am bloody brilliant. Bloody brilliant this week. Um, I'm gonna. I'm like, it's a new. It's a new era for us here on the best movie podcast ever. I'm just gonna be honest when someone asks how I am, and and, <laughs> and it's a good week because I get. Yeah. I got to see June this week, which I've been looking forward to yeah. for. Oh, I don't even know how long. Years, literally years at this point. Um, mm. And we uh, we finally saw it, and we're here to talk about it. How about you? Yeah, I'm actually feeling pretty good as well. I'm for a different reason than you, though. But it is still June related. I'm feeling really good because I I have somehow avoided everything to do with June in my life up to this point, and uh, and I just like you, I'm picking the sand out of my mouth because <laughs> it was a fan- that was. <laughs> It was a fantastic show. Do you know what that was for the video for the audio listeners? I just took a sip of coffee, and this is this is going to be a damning indictment on my ability to keep a clean home. I took a sip of my coffee, and there was fucking lime scale oh, in yeah, the mug, yeah, yeah. and I was like, "How am I going to play this?" And like, the, my life flashed before my eyes when because <laughs> I was like, "We're in mid pod, we're in mid flow here. I can't restart the podcast, so I had to try and tactically pick out bits of lime scale well, from my mouth while well after i threw to anthony and anthony being the malicious uh co-host of this podcast that he is has called me out on it for all to see well i i'll say just to, just to embarrass myself I, I actually i told you this story recently is that we had limescale in our kettle for uh must have been two years and we just all just didn't get a new one didn't clean it like we were just like obviously we would rinse it out but like it was just it was always there and then one yeah. day eva's dad bought us a new kettle and we were like oh thanks so much oh my god geez you didn't have to do that he's like it was three quid in tesco yeah yeah <laughs> we didn't know no, no effort whatsoever went into it yeah i'm I, i'm normally okay at maintaining the kettle but um we're moving house and I've, I've clearly been remiss in my duties so that's my punishment is um I've had to extract limescale from my mouth live on air, or not live. Um, well, live enough. I'm going to say to you, Conrad, because I didn't actually get to finish it because of, because of the old uh, picking of the limescale at your mouth. Go but, on, go but, on. But uh, yeah. why, why I'm in a very happy mood is because <laughs> I feel like I've been introduced to a brand new world that I had no idea about. And, I, and I'm and i really, really happy. Like First thing I did was like, go straight to IMDb, look up the other June film from the 80s, and think, okay, I want to watch that. But I actually, I'm like, should I watch that? Or should <laughs> no, I wait until the... Yeah, I know. I know it's going to be worse, but should, or should I wait till the second uh, Villanova one comes out so that I see the story through that? Like, I'm like, what should I do? Because I really, really sort of fell in love with with the world, to be honest with you. Yeah, well, that's awesome because uh, that's going to lead us quite naturally into uh, something I wanted to, to to talk with you about before we got right into it. Mm-hmm. So, um, without further ado, let's talk about some gosh darn movies. Let's do it. Movies. Halloween is over, the scary period has ended, and we've emerged butterfly-like from the other side of the Halloween period, uh, a reborn. Before we get into June, um, 
it's, I think it's important for us to establish that we are now entering the hashtag prestige season for movies here. Mm-hmm. Um, everyone's everyone's putting out their movies for, for, for the Oscars. We've got Last Night in Soho. We've got June, which we're going to talk about in a mm-hmm. minute. We've got the, the Last Jewel, Ridley Scott movie, which I'm very excited to see. Mm-hmm. French Dispatch, the new Wes Anderson movie. Yeah. And uh, Jackass Forever, of course. <laughs> oh, yes. Um, it is all happening. My question to you, Anthony, before we get into June, is which one of these movies should we manufacture an unpopular opinion of to boost our engagement? Uh, that's a good. That's a good question, actually. Um, it can't be Jackass. I can't be anti Jackass. I'm just going to st- say that now. Yeah, I don't know. we're not going to get anywhere being anti Jackass. I think. Um, I mm, no. I'm, I'm. I'm. I'm sorry, Conrad. I'm a very honest person. Not like okay. you. You know. You, well, yeah. You, no, you, I'm, I'll leave I'm... that to you. I'm happy to uh, be anti The Last Duel because I think Ridley Scott is mental now. Uh, <laughs> like, he, he used to make good movies once upon a time. Okay, that's fine. Well, uh, The Last Duel, there you go. Look forward to that in the coming weeks. I, I will be uh, manufacturing an opinion on that, and it's going to start now. <laughs> so, okay, June stuff. Let's just get into it. June prep. Here's, yeah. here's the prep work. Mm-hmm. And there, are, I, I feel like this is a movie... Well, I was going to say this is a movie that requires a certain amount of prep going in. Like when 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 me and my partner went to, to see it, I gave her a little a little talk for about five minutes before it started. I was like, "Look, this is this is what's going to go down in this movie, all right." So you hadn't seen the David Lynch movie and you hadn't read the Frank Herbert book. Haven't read a book. Books. Haven't haven't re- seen the film. Haven't seen the miniseries from two thousand, which I now know exists as well. I haven't. Yeah. I haven't. Uh, I haven't. And um, to be quite honest with you, I also haven't seen many Timothy Chalamet films. So it was like it was like I, I, I've seen a couple of them, but not like not none of the ones which he's big name for. You know, I think Little yeah. Women's probably the, is he Little Women? Yeah, he's probably yeah he's Little Women. That's probably he's, the bi- uh, biggest one I've seen him in. That and I suppose like Call Me by Your Name, was which I didn't see. Kind of... Yeah, I didn't see that yet. But um, oh, you should see that. You would like that movie, I think. Yeah. Um, Lady Bird, I saw as well. But anyway, but I was sort of new to him as a leading man as well. So it was a whole load of new stuff for me. Um, but yeah, like so, I I I'm gonna say from the from, from the get go, it seems to me like I, I'm assuming this book was written a long, long time ago. Um, yeah, I think it was late fifties or sixties that uh, that it came out. Yeah, and I was worried going into this, which um, you know we'll get to the details as we go. But I was worried of going into this that it was gonna suffer from like because I haven't seen it. I'm assuming before I saw it, I was assuming that a lot of uh, sci-fi that I have seen has drawn heavily from it, and therefore yes. I felt that this would feel derivative, even though it's original. Um, yeah. But it didn't at all for me. It actually felt like, it didn't feel like that at all. Even though I saw things that potentially led to other things in the genre, it felt fresh, it felt uh, like it was doing it and tre- treading that ground for the first time for me. I really liked it. Okay, oh, well that's awesome. Yeah, so I mean I'd like I've, from, from my point of view, I'm probably more of a fan like going into it i knew, mm-hmm. probably knew more about it than you did but even I, I i've seen the lynch film i've read like the first hundred pages of the first book mm-hmm. and it is and this is slightly pun intended it is a dry fucking book like it's all kind of <laughs> space feudalism and it's interesting uh, but it's very very dense and mm-hmm. um yeah not an easy book to not an easy book to read and i can only assume that the others are equally equally dense although i would like to go back and read them i think they're, they're very much on the list but um mm-hmm. so we'll, we'll because this is a new movie we'll try and do non-spoiler stuff first and then we'll kind of make a point of saying now we're going to talk about some spoilers in this movie yeah, later yeah. so don't okay. worry about having it spoiled for you too early on but so just to give a brief outline of the plot of this movie um it's not the whole of the first book uh it's mm-hmm. i think probably about half of the first book mm. maybe even less than that actually and it essentially tells the story of 
a like noble house in the future called House Atreides, who are run by uh, Duke Leto, played by Oscar Isaac. Uh, his his um, not wife. What's the what's the word? Concubine. Concubine. That's what she is. Mm-hmm. Lady Jessica, played by Rebecca Ferguson, who I've had a I've had a real renaissance with Rebecca Ferguson mm. in the last couple of years because I don't really remember seeing her in much prior to seeing her in Doctor Sleep uh, I, last yeah, year. Yeah, I didn't see Doctor Sleep actually, but I will say to you, there's, there is never enough Rebecca Ferguson for me. What was that from? I don't know what that the was. The Greatest Showman. To. That's her song she sings. Oh, of course. Yeah, she's well, the she, Greatest she, Showman. Yeah, she, she, she yeah. doesn't actually sing it, uh, but no. she, she mimes it while a singer sings it. Yeah. And she does a convincing job of it because, uh, well, or, or does she? Because I didn't even remember she was in that movie. But <laughs> she's ginger in it, so it's a little yeah. different. Um, but yeah, so uh, she, like she's a, a, the concubine of Duke Leto. You've got Paul Atreides, played by Timothy Chalamet, who's our who's our leading man. And essentially, this noble house Atreides, they're they're very they're very prim and proper, and you know they're they're very much like the good guys. Um, and they are called upon by the emperor to take over the fiefdom of uh, Arrakis, which is like a desert planet that's run by their their bitter rival's house, Harkonnen. Mm-hmm. And it's uh, on Arrakis that all of the spice is produced. It's this de- desert world. And spice is essentially used to kind of power the empire by making interstellar travel possible. Um, mm-hmm. You've got these guys who I don't even think are mentioned in this. They're definitely mentioned in the Lynch movie, um, but they're like called guild navigators. And essentially they get all all hepped up on, on spice and then they're able to kind of plot courses across the stars oh. um and also there's there's big worms on arrakis everyone knows that it's in the marketing material they're very cool but i mean there's not there is a, there's there's like intrigue here obviously like the plot goes in directions that perhaps uh, you wouldn't expect it to but i i think I, I i and i was interested to get your opinion on this this movie to me is more about kind of setting a very rich mm-hmm. and very uh, a, a very fascinating to look at and explore table in a way that that really really worked for me but I could see maybe some people finding it a little slow because of that I know exactly what you mean uh, they okay so it, it did feel like they were setting the table it was very slow very I would use the word considered you know um, yeah, sure it was it was it was it was a slow burn and an event and it was sort of very slowly putting things in place. Now I'm I'm afraid like, if they had put this all into one film, I probably now Conrad, you know me, I'm pretty good at like keeping up with like sort of the world building of stuff in the beginning of films and stuff. So I probably I probably could have kept up, but I can imagine it would be very difficult for some people if you if like if you just put it all in the one film rather than splitting it in two like they have. If you had like a two and a half hour film where it all this all setup would have been in like the first half an hour to an hour, and it would have yeah. been and it would have been a lot like there's a trade he's and da da da, and it would have been really too much. Whereas we were really given time to think and to, to to dwell and to meet the new characters and meet this sect of people and meet these. And I, to be honest with you, was not lost or confused at one moment at all in the setup of this. I thought it was great. I think they did a good yeah. job. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean that's that's really good to hear because I think that is. The, the David Lynch movie isn't a bad movie, but it definitely falls victim to that. Like, well, it has tonal problems, I think, but also it's about two and a half hours long, maybe just shy of three, and it, they try to get so much into that. Yeah. And in doing so, you just lose ninety percent of what makes June so cool. And that, and that mm-hmm. really is just the, I, it's just the world building. You know, there's mm-hmm. just this gorgeous kind of rich setup to this. They and I think Villeneuve wants you to just submerge yourself in the world of dune um and 
even and, and kind of trust in the storytelling process that even though you might know who the Bene Gesserit are at the beginning or the or the or the uh, Sardaukar or you know all all these characters that you get these weird names thrown off. Yeah. Which I will say right now, I know this has become a bit of a meme since June has become popular. I've been saying that Duncan Idaho is a ridiculous name for a character <laughs> for a long time, and I'm glad to finally have people on board with me. Um, you know, you've got everyone else has got like kind of. They're not normal because they're like fantasy names. You've got Paul yeah, Atreides yeah. and Duke Leto and Gurney Halleck. These all sound Gurney. like believable kind of fantasy names. And they just got Duncan Idaho, which is like, what? I, I, know, I, I know what you mean, but I do I do think like it is hilarious. Don't get me wrong. And it's funny as well, because like, obviously there must be a, like, you know, must, this must be like in the future and they eventually, they originally came from Earth and stuff, which is, I assume that from the style of sci-fi it is, whereas like something like... I actually st- don't know. It could be. Yeah, maybe yeah. they are humans. I Like I assume they're humans. I, well, maybe not, but we'll... But, but I, the, the style of sci-fi makes me think that. Whereas like Star Wars, obviously, you know, you've got like Obi-Wan. This is, actually, it's funny. I sort of had the the opposite opinion to you, uh, Conrad. Obviously, Duncan Idaho is a stupid, hilarious name. <laughs> yeah. but But I thought to myself like... It's not like we've got like instead of like having Anakin and Obi Wan and Qui Gon, we've got Paul and yeah. Jessica. And I and well, you've got yeah. but you had like Luke though, right? Yeah, you that's know, like, true. That, that like I feel like the uh, George Lucas definitely took stuff. He lost he himself. He, he lost himself in that, didn't he? Because he had Luke at, <laughs> Luke at the beginning, and then he, yeah. then he lost himself. And there was like Leia and Han, and yeah. then and like what? Yeah, yeah. He had Luke and Ben Kenobi, and then halfway through the first movie, he's like, "Ah, oh, let's call him Obi Wan instead." Actually, I don't like <laughs> Ben. And then before you know it, the, it he's off. He's away with the fairies, and he's got fucking Admiral Akbar and everything else going on. Um, yeah, exactly. And, uh, it's <laughs> funny. <Admiral Ackbar. laughs> I like Admiral Akbar. To be fair, he's a good character. He's good. Um, I will say actually that you've raised an interesting comparison there, which is something I wanted to to, to hit in the discussion of this, which is that. For me, um, watching this movie, there is always that sense that there are things happening off screen which are just as interesting as what we are seeing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you I, I get you get the sense that there's like kind of a broader galactic political game going on here, and that there's other kind of machinations that would be fascinating to see. Mm-hmm. And it really put me in, or really captures the feeling I had for star wars when i was a kid when and i don't i i think you might be you're slightly younger than me so you were maybe a bit more like this with um with the 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 prequels but when when i was a kid and i watched the original trilogy i really wanted to like know who mandalorians were or know why some of those stormtroopers Mm -hmm. in a new hope had orange shoulder pads you know like like it really sort of captures your imagination in that way and i feel like this does a great job of it too um the the uh the sardaukar that you see very briefly and uh, you see that who are like the sort of soldiers mm-hmm. of the uh, of the empire they're like these elite soldiers and you see like a training facility for them and there's like this weird like throat singing going on in <laughs> yeah. the background and they're being like daubed in sacrificial blood and it's just like this is so cool and it's literally maybe not even a minute long scene and then and, and it's just to establish that they're that they're bad motherfuckers and then that's all we get of them, and it's so good. Yeah, it, it does actually make me wonder how much how much is in the book and how much is different. Because I would imagine that the world being built in this is a little different to the one in the 80s film, I would imagine. And so I, stuff like, for example, there's a particular scene where we see a character having like a healing bath, which is kind of like laying in oil. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's so gross. And I thought, yeah, I, I, like stuff like that, I, like... 
I suppose I need to read the book because because I'm thinking to myself like this. I I want to know where Denny Villeneuve took license to sort of create his own vision, um, mm. and and what is directly described in the book because I would imagine, I would imagine like some stuff. Like I doubt that they described Dave Bautista in the book, you know. So, like, <laughs> I, I want I want to know what is new and what's not. That's kind of why I wanted to go and watch the 80, 80, 1984 film because, yeah. although I don't want to know the story yet, I I I don't want the story through that avenue. I wanted yeah. to know what aspects of this film were new, if you know what I mean. Uh, because yeah. I loved yeah. it so much, and I thought like, what did what what was his take on it? Because I know mm. his take on it now, but was how much of that is his take? If you know what I mean? Yeah, and I, I think. There's definitely stuff to be gleaned from that. That was my main point of reference. And I think you raise an interesting point with uh, with Baron Harkin and Stellan Skarsgård's character mm. because in the Lynch movie, um, he's just kind of like a guy, like he's kind of fat and yeah. he has like boils on his face and like me- like uh, disgusting like ginger hair. Mm-hmm. But he's like, uh, but he's not like inhuman. He doesn't seem. He looks like something out of Three Hundred in this. Yeah, exactly. Like it's a, mm-hmm. so in the in the Lynch movie, he looks like he might have been an extra in the Rocky Horror Picture Show or something. Like yeah, he's not a okay. particularly intimidating character. In this, I, and I have to say, the makeup effects on Stellan Skarsgård mm-hmm. are yeah. amazing in this. Like he and 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 the way he moves and the way he's present, presented is is really really striking. And yeah. I, and I th- I feel like I can't I can't speak to how much of the uh, of of the this sort of production design as a whole is in the books, but I can say with fair amount of confidence that the the still suits the the mm-hmm. suits that they wear that the that distill water from from their their bodily excretions um <laughs> to allow them to traverse the desert i think that's pretty consistent with what we saw in the june movie and in the uh 84 okay. lynch i think i think it was 84 uh the lynch movie and therefore probably in the book as well and obviously i think there's something else i wanted to talk to you about actually the, but the the aesthetic of kind of middle eastern inspired mm-hmm. garb and and uh uh like both tool and and the kind of building design i think they do a good job of channeling that while also kind of walking the tightrope of not letting it, 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 this is this is going to sound like I'm I'm condemning it for for having words like jihad and stuff in the book, but and obviously like they they are very thematically important. But I feel mm-hmm. like if they'd included that kind of stuff in the screenplay, it would have been almost like an inadvertent dog whistle for shitty people to be like, "Oh, this movie's supporting Islamic fundamentalism," um, when it's when mm. it's really not. But I mean, did you get a sense of that stuff in this, like kind of pulling from that that the Middle Eastern unrest in the fifties and sixties? Um, like I definitely, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if I got exactly like the the complete anal- anal- analogy to the unrest in terms of the political unrest. I think there's a Sasha Baron Cohen's film called The Spy, which is about each, uh, Israel and Syria and the the, yeah. the things going on there, which is an interesting watch. Again, I'm completely ignorant to it, so maybe someone from that area would watch that and think it's completely in- historically inaccurate, but I don't know. But I, the actual style of the ca- the costumes and things, especially some of the things that Jessica was wearing, very yeah. much seems uh, to, to draw from that. And again, like uh, when the book was written, um and published in like 65 you can imagine you can very much imagine that a lot of people reading this book were it was completely alien to them the ideas of of the middle eastern world so so that's why um 
you know and also like t- like you know things that happen as history goes on obviously there's words these days which have been completely uh taken over yeah. by by certain people who want to put certain things in your head um but yeah i i i, I didn't know obviously i didn't know that, know that that was jihad and stuff was in the book but i i definitely yeah. felt middle eastern uh inspiration and it makes sense as well because obviously the 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 landscape they're in if you're going to try and design a culture around some uh a landscape of sand and dunes it probably makes sense to look at the ones we have on earth and think how did how did they do it you know yeah i mean absolutely i mean it's, it's very a lot of the the stylings are very heavily based on that kind of like bedouin desert culture um and the books do and and the the lynch movie um kind of progress towards this idea of, of holy war which isn't really explored too much in this one because as i say it's more more set up um but so i think we're now we're now going to have to take the dangerous step of oh. shifting into full-on spoiler territory here so if you haven't seen June or yeah and and you care to not know what happens in the Villeneuve movie um this is this is your cue to to check out and maybe check back in with us at the end when we'll talk about uh, give a brief overview of it yeah um okay so fir- first things first the and this is something that I would like for you to see in the Lynch movie because the Lynch movie is like half Flash Gordon and half <laughs> like super dry sci-fi like some parts of it it seems really cheesy and some parts seem um very very self-serious and there's there's a moment where um where where the character of dr i don't even know if he's named in either movie to be honest but dr yo um who is the guy who is named in this one he's named in this one yeah. he is okay cool i didn't didn't actually catch him being called anything but he yeah dr yo and and he um betrays house atreides because his wife is being held prisoner by house harkonnen um and is basically said you gotta power down the shields and and do a yeah. bunch of other shit to mm-hmm. let us sneak up on them um and his betrayal in this is and I'm not exaggerating when I say this, about a million times better than it is in the David Lynch movie. Okay. Um, in the in the David Lynch movie, there is a fantastic bit where, um, so for those of you who haven't seen it, he replaces one of Duke Leto's teeth and tells him to like crunch down on it when he's in uh, Baron Harkonnen's presence. So mm-hmm. he kills, kills both of them. And in the David Lynch movie, while Duke Leto is kind of like, hallucinating from from the the uh the the, the para- paralysis uh dart that he's been hit with he's just envisaging the face of dr yo like he's waking up from a dream just going the tooth the tooth the tooth and it's just the most, <laughs> it is it just ruins the tone of the scene oh, entirely God. and if you if you like watch this movie and try to imagine that kind of like oh, <laughs> like a dream sequence it would not have worked yeah, like that's that's funny to hear because I think they did that portrayal really, really well. It's, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's, especially considering uh, that, like, he basically betrayed the good guys, and yeah. they very quickly, like, I, they very quickly were able to make me feel empathy to the character. Like, even but even before um, we found out that his wife had had been killed, um, we uh, I, as soon as he gave him the tooth and said, "Here, it's your only chance to survive. I have to do this." Sorry, I immediately was like oh okay and not that i wanted him to do it but i was like okay i understand and uh then whenever baron harkonnen uh, says to him you know here you go join your wife then and kill why her. don't you join her yeah, yeah. <laughs> like in his, yeah. his stellan skarsgård voice and then yeah. cuts his throat yeah yeah like that was that was a powerful moment for me to be honest with mm. you and then i was just like willing the tooth to be crushed you know yeah I, I love i love that that moment he's he does it actually prior to that that uh moment in the in the film but it's it's captured really well in that moment the thing that, that baron harkonnen does where he kind of levitates yeah and it looks like he's 
really he's just tall. growing because yeah. he's wearing like a really long robe and it's so so off-putting and uh and unsettling yeah. um okay so, so talking about cool characters then we've mentioned him once we've got to pay lip service to him now duncan idaho in the lynch movie and i I do apologize for anyone who's listening that we're gonna i'm gonna keep comparing this back to the lynch movie but it's obviously gonna happen because it's a it's the same source material in the lynch film um duncan idaho is essentially just a guy he probably gets about two lines and then he dies during the big betrayal sequence how did you find um not that you have any context for comparison but how did you find jason momoa in in this one I mean, I'm not going to lie to you. The, the first time Timothy Chalamet went up to him and was like throwing the arms around, like, hey, bud, how are you? You know, it really felt like, you know, like, maybe this is what it's meant to feel like, but it felt like, you know, like the little brother putting his arm around the sister's boyfriend. You know, it's like, oh, he's my best oh. friend in the world. You know, that's sort of, sort of what I got from it. But, but no, uh, I think he did a good job. I like, I like, I think I, he was very believable in his sort of love, mm. love of the Fremen people. Uh, and I liked sort of how he was used to sort of give us information about them before we met them. I think yeah. that, that was a cool vehicle to get that information given to us, to be honest with you. So yeah, I think successful character. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and um, I'd, I'd like while we're on that subject, did 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 you um did you recognize Javier Bardem as Stilgar? Uh, I did. Yes, I did. Um, I, 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 had, I had to go and check the. I was like, who is that? And then I looked at it. I was like, holy shit, that's Javier Bardem. That does not look like him. I think I recognize him from the like I, I put it together because of his voice. You know what I mean as well. Mm, yeah. Um, I would say that really interesting that Josh Brolin and Javier Bardem are in this, and they're they're yeah. both small small roles. Isn't that funny? Um, yeah. Who would have thought that, like, that Oscar winning film that they were in, like, 12 years ago or whatever, eventually they would just be small roles in a big sci fi? Like, you know? Yeah, well, I'm not I'm not going to say anything too much about what might happen in the next June movie, but, uh, but you, you yeah. may see, so you may see some more of those characters together reenacting No Country for Old Men in, uh, in, in, in minor ways. We'll see. Is there, is, um, oh, oh my God. The, the, uh, what do they call it? Like the sand whip thing. It's basically like the pressure gun that he has in the country for all men. <laughs> yeah, that's true. There you go. <laughs> Perfect. All we need is Tommy Lee Jones to turn up, uh, yeah. and, and we've got we've completed the set of the car. I, and and Will uh, Woody Harrelson as well. Actually, that'd be good um, if he could turn up with a massive cowboy hat. Um, <laughs> So yeah, Jason Momoa. I, I like. I'm I'm a big self admitted fan of Jason Momoa. I think he's a limited actor, but I think he's an actor who knows his limits. And when he's cast in the right roles, like Aquaman, he he's very charismatic. He can be badass. It's very much his speed. And yeah. this is kind of the role that he's playing here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've got to ask you a question though, Anthony. As a bearded man, clean shaven Jason Momoa, where do we fall down on that? Like, where, where are we landing on that? Um, it worked for the character, but I yeah, I will say it's a bit weird to see because um, yeah, the type of muscly, like the type of like big beefy man he is, like he's like a strong man, you know what I mean? So he's yeah. ca- so he's carried a bit. So he 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 had a he had a bit of he had a bit more around the chin than I would have expected him to have. Yeah, there's a slight jowl, and you yeah. know, again, like those in glass houses. I'm not calling out Jason Momoa. That's why like, I don't shave, Conrad. That's why I do yeah. not shave. But that it like I was not. I, I think it may be the first time that I've ever seen Jason Momoa's chin because. He's bearded well, in pretty much yeah. everything I've ever yeah, seen. Yeah, and his chin, definitely his chin. I've seen his jaw because I think in in Game of Thrones he didn't have a full beard. I think he had yeah, like a he had like the he had like the the Leonidas yeah, goatee yeah. that kind of <laughs> yeah. points down. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's not enough to detract from from the character who uh, is get, gets to do far more cool stuff. Really gets to prove how much of a badass he is. Oh yeah, um, and and that needs us leads us rather quite naturally into. Um, the whole like slow shield thing. Yes. Did that like 
I I love the concept. I was fascinated to see how they depicted the fight sequences. So essentially, mm-hmm. the they have to. I, I this is the part that I don't really know that much about because I've only read a little bit of the books. Um, but the, the, essentially, at some point, they develop this shield that stops fast moving projectiles. Yeah. Um, like like bullets, which is why they stop using guns. Mm-hmm. I think at some point, someone shot one of the slow shields with like a laser gun, and it caused essentially like a thermonuclear reaction. So they're like, no more of that. We're fighting with swords from now on. And um and there there was born this sort of style of martial arts where it's quick movements, but then slow movements to penetrate the shield. Mm-hmm. Um and the idea of choreographing for that sounds like an absolute nightmare. But but for me, I thought the combat feels really cool. Yeah. How did you feel about it? I. I did like it, I, I'm, but I, I will say that, I in a film that felt so like, uh, like Denny Villeneuve, I like his, I like his style. I haven't seen uh, Blade Runner twenty forty nine yet, but I will say, for me, the the only part of the film that I maybe would criticize a little bit, like th- to be honest with you, there was very little that I could criticize with this film. It did feel like I need to wait for the second to really take it all in, but and I and I really enjoyed this one, but I didn't like the. F- and I know it's probably straight from the book, but I didn't like the formulaic way that they had like the master, the, the like the master Josh Brolin and the apprentice Timothy Chalamet uh, scene where they were like fighting each other and they ha- and they and, and it was all used to develop their relationship, but also used to develop the idea of the the slow the slow uh, suits or the slow uh, shields. I personally would have preferred them come up with something a little bit more original in terms of introducing those two plot points. Um, I although it didn't didn't take away fully from me, but if the, if I was gonna pick something, I that little formulaic here's where we have the master apprentice scene didn't yeah. didn't really work in terms of being a new original brilliant take on this. You know what I mean? Yeah. No. I I know. I know what you mean. And I, and I think. Um... I, I think Josh Brolin does a really good job as Gurney Halleck, but I agree he's quite a stereotypical character. Mm-hmm. It, it, interesting that you mentioned that, though. How did you feel about it, if, if that kind of way to uh, explain the idea of a slow shield didn't really do it for you? How did you feel about the little video projector that Timothy Chalamet has that introduces the idea of walking without rhythm in a very, very short, uh, short video clip that he's kind of listening to as he's doing other stuff? Yeah, because uh, maybe maybe because that's a, such a short little just sort of here's a bit of information for you. I didn't yeah. actually have that much of a problem with that. It's just because of the I've just seen that Master Apprentice scene so many times in so many yeah. films. Yeah. I will I will say though that the slow shields in general when it first was introduced in that in that scene, I was like, oh okay, this is a bit interesting. I wasn't sure how I fe- I felt about them to be honest with you. I like the idea of these CG things that come out around your body and then then are disappeared until they are activated. I was like, yeah. okay, this might be a bit naff, but I did not. But I but I didn't think that though. Once they started actually using them in real fights, I actually thought it was really cool. And then by the end of the film, I was thinking to myself, oh, I can't wait to go home and tell Emma about this detail because I think I've never seen it before. I've never seen the idea of having to go slow mm. to kill someone. So I th- actually yeah. I came I came around on it big time to be honest. Okay, that, yeah, that's cool. Like I I. I just thought the the choreography was so good mm-hmm. and so it perfectly encapsulated how I see that kind of uh, that that style of martial art in my in my head. Um so okay like two last things to finish then there are really only I think it's probably fair no there's more than two set pieces but there's two big set pieces that I wanted to discuss because I think these are the moments that 
the movie kind of hangs its hat on as being like if if you can stay engaged with the very rich very dense lore in between these these set pieces mm-hmm you will enjoy this movie because the set pieces I think are brilliant. And that is, first off, the uh, ornithopter rescue of the crew of one of the spice harvesters yeah. that introduces us to a lot. There's a lot going on in that scene. So we're introduced first off to the ornithopter design, which is super cool. I don't know how you felt about those like grasshopper looking uh, things, but... Um... thought it was really cool. Um, it was it was part of what I thought is <laughs> like design over practicality here. Yeah. Um <laughs> Are you are you suggesting that the physics of that yeah. that, that design don't make sense? I mean, if someone wants to explain to me why you would go them go for them over traditional helicopter blades, I will take your explanation because yeah. I want to believe. <laughs> I I outright I we, listen. We live in an age where scientific evidence is no longer important for anything. Yeah. Apparently, so I reject all physical <laughs> all physical d- d- discussion or physics discussions. Uh, ornithopters look fucking cool. That's my. Uh, I'll say. I also say if the wings are moving that fast there's no chance you're hearing anything anyone's saying hang on no. conrad we didn't even talk about the uh the, the the voice thing oh well yeah i mean the voice it's one of those kind of things that i wasn't I, expecting yeah. it i wasn't expecting that in this film at all yeah i, I it's it's not really it, it so from my memory which admittedly isn't great i i think the voice becomes far more important later on but yes you've got like I mean, let's call it what it is. It's essentially the force. Like, you yeah. can command people to do stuff with your voice. I mean, the Bene Gesserit, um, so to get, give a give a brief bit of backstory, the Bene Gesserit are essentially this kind of, I guess, wizards, really, if you mm-hmm. want to get right down to it. They're, they're sort of a, a sect of, of, of women who um, are in close alliance with with the the emperor and uh they are quite sort of protective of their own and um uh, timothy uh, or paul atreides mother is one of them and has trained him in the way of the voice which is essentially commanding people to do to do what you want um and yeah i mean he 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 has the ability to use it how how do you see that coming coming back in later films if at all i think it'll come back i think that it's it's going to lead to a I would imagine it's going to lead to a moment where he uses that that power against maybe the emperor. Like we haven't met the emperor yet, I don't think. Um, no, but no, we haven't met like the emperor. We haven't seen guild navigators. There's a lot of stuff we haven't seen. So and he far. did mention he did mention uh, that he he like sort of laid the seed that he might want to run for emperor one day. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Paul Paul Atreides twenty twenty nine forty one or whatever. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, no, I, I thought it was really cool. I, I thought the, the voice, again, the first time I heard the voice, I was thinking, okay, I can hear the mixes you put into that audio. Um, you know, but but at the same time, I, I it grew on me as well. Like, I think the first time that the shields were there and the first time the voice was used, it, it took a little bit of readjustment because I was a little bit like, Oh, okay. It was like a reminder I was watching a film. You know what I mean? And then, and then, yeah. and then I got there in the end. So actually, no, I, I, I think, I think that's pretty good. Um, I, I'm happy there. Uh, I was gonna make a point about it, but I can't remember what it is, Conrad. So you continue on, and I'll think I, okay. see if I can remember. Well, I, I, yeah, I enjoy the voice stuff. I kind of know because even though I've only read, uh, seen the, seen the first, the original movie, and read a bit of the books, I kind of know where the Dune story goes. Mm-hmm. So, um, without giving too much away the Bene Gesserit kind of uh, voice stuff and, and like Paul's hidden destiny mm-hmm. become a much bigger part of the story 
um, further oh, down. I've the got line. a prediction. I've got a prediction. This Go is on. a weird, weird thing to do because it won't come true for years. Because I'm, yeah. I, I am going to wait for the next film because I, I don't want to ruin it. But I think the fact that Jessica is pregnant is going to become a huge thing, uh, and I think people are going to start maybe believing that that baby is the chosen one. Um, I think that's sort of how it's going to go. But um, okay. I, I, rem- I remember what I was going to say. I thought it was a really interesting point, and I love the, the little the little detail that they usually don't allow men to train with this with this force power uh, yeah. with the voice because because like they you know they're too arrogant cocky or whatever or they're they're, in, they're they're too easily put into a position of privilege where they could where they could uh overuse it now yeah. that reminds me of a very off-color joke by bill burr <laughs> by by bill burr okay, um, and it it, it it sounds like really really like bad until you actually think about what he's actually saying but he basically says that we're uh the like the world is lucky that an ego such as kanye west was born in a black man's body <laughs> because he says if he was a white man and he didn't have the uh the, the barriers that the society puts on a black man yeah uh, he would have been hitler <laughs> that's that's what bill burr says Alright, thanks Bill Burr <laughs> yeah, for getting our podcast cancelled <laughs> by that joke no I, I think there's i'm not going to give anything away all i'm going to say is there is a very from my memory, so if anyone knows Dune better than I do, which I'm sure loads of people do, please correct me if I'm wrong, but from my memory, there's a very good reason why the Bene Gesserit order don't let men uh, learn the voice um, okay. and why Rebecca Ferguson's character, Jessica, was supposed to choose to have a girl. Um, so there is a there's a throwaway line in this movie where she i can't remember the character's name mm-hmm. but but um paul is talking to like the head of the Bene Gesserit yeah. order and um and i think she says to paul that your mother was supposed to have a girl i heard um, that yeah be- because the Bene Gesserit can essentially choose what they the gender of their child um and okay. she chose to have a boy and that's going to become a th- a thing later on down the line in this interesting interesting i, f- I find it interesting as well that like the chosen one it what I got get gathered from that is it is the chosen one thing. Also, they call it the one, which I thought was funny because like the Matrix yeah. did that. <laughs> but but they call it the, the the one. This one is it just Fremen people who have this prophecy, or is it like a universe wide thing? Um, I'm gonna have to pass on that yeah. because there's there's pro- there are prophecies that the Emperor is aware of and doesn't want to happen, and there are Fremen prophecies as well, mm. and. Uh, there is going to be some crossover between them is all our is all i'll okay. say all right cool um but yeah i'm really looking forward to where it goes and so okay the last thing i just wanted to say mm-hmm. the big betrayal sequence lots of explosions great kind of line fighting sequences mm-hmm. between the atreides infantry and the the the, the sadakar and the harkening guys D- did that like do it for you as far as kind of action it's not even really a climax because there's still about half an hour of movie or probably more than half an hour probably about 45 minutes of movie Mm -hmm. left to happen at that point but did that kind of get you get you pumped up for for seeing where the movie went it did yes but also you're right into saying earlier on when you said like uh things happening off camera because we did get it but we didn't get too much of it to be honest with you like yeah. they they very much like went we went with Paul and Jessica in in the little helicopter thing. So yeah. we got we got it. I enjoyed it. I I liked the big battle and the things exploding in the sky and the big and the big ships uh, exploding within the port and like, <laughs> D- Duncan Idaho's uh, X-wing Death Star trench run moment where he's just <laughs> yeah. like, He did a good job. Around. He yeah. did a good job. And then He did. Well, I mean like that was that that was that, that was that was pretty good I think. I I, I enjoyed it. But mm. um but but uh the end of this film 
I wanted to say at the very beginning, then I remember we weren't doing spoilers, but I just want to say there was a huge, huge amount of excitement, obviously, in a few different action scenes. Having said that, the way this film ends is really interesting to me uh, because I thought to myself, walking out of the cinema, when the way it ends, like, you know, sort of Paul kills the guy. I love that fight. I loved the way the emotion was done. I loved how his mother said, Paul's never killed a man. And there was yeah. the, the weight behind it. I, I just felt that I was in that in that moment. I really loved it. And then when they decide to go with them, and then you find out that they're riding the worms. However, that fucking happens. That sounds <laughs> yeah, that's something to look forward to. I mean, I I kind you know I actually thought to myself whenever um, Liet Kynes, I think Doctor Liet Kynes, who was like yeah. the, the 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 trades person or whatever, um, like the trade counselor or whatever you call her, she had the hooks out, and I was like, is she gonna mm. she gonna ride this thing? And then she, you know, she, yeah, she was gonna try. Yeah, and, she, uh, yeah, yeah. So I, I that's really cool. But I'll say I was walking out of the cinema the way it ended. I was walking out because I knew the time. I was like, this must be ending soon. This is crazy the way this is ending. And mm. and when it ended, I was walking out of the cinema thinking, I don't think casuals are going to like that ending. And then I thought to myself, what the fuck am I talking about? I'm a casual. That was awesome. So <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I, th- I think you're, I, I'm really interested to see. I was looking at how it was doing financially today, actually, and it's, it's making good money, which I know isn't a, like a, a, a benchmark for quality, but I'm one of those people who... I loved Blade Runner 2049 and when it came out and it like made less money than whatever Paul W.S. Anderson Resident Evil movie came out the same weekend. I was like, well, okay, we've lost. Cinema's lost. Sorry, everyone. Um, and this seems to be doing well. Um, but I think there is there is still that fear where it's like, is, is there enough like action in this? Uh, and is that ending going to satisfy people? Because the ending is literally they get kind of adopted into the Freeman and yeah. they wander off into the desert and, and the, the setup is there mm-hmm. for the sequel, but it's not like a, a big kind of like, oh, there's a ticking clock and we need to do, mm. you know, stuff with the Avengers or whatever. Not to dis- dismiss those movies, they're, they're good movies in their own right, but it doesn't have that same kind of impetus that the, mm. that a lot of uh, a lot of casual moviegoers might want from, from something that's so directly setting up a sequel. It's just so- intrigue, isn't it? It's intrigue mm. and it's thinking... Hmm. It's it, it, it's all on the weight of these characters, and and yeah. and, it, and it really works. I mm. I can't believe that that I love that ending as well as I did. And actually, the fact that it's doing well financially means that they've already greenlit the second one. Because apparently, yeah. I, I did read that crazily when uh, Denny Villeneuve tr- decided to make this part one. R- crazily, apparently, they had not greenlit the second one, and they were no. they were waiting to see how it did. And yeah. can you imagine? Can you imagine if it we did poorly? And <laughs> that never, would be, and they never made another uh, one. That would break my heart. But I mean, you know, he's not. His movies are always, always very good. Uh, or they they range from good to excellent, yeah. and they always sort of sort of make money. But I think a lot of the time he isn't really like a box office smash. Mm-hmm. So this was his big chance at bat. I think to be like. I can make a movie that's going to make lots of money and hopefully this is it. Um so yeah. okay, let's 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 talk ratings then. Um Okay. Where do you, where do you fall down on uh on June? Like what's what's your rating for it? This is a hard one. It's a hard one because I, I if we were going I say this all the time Conrad, I know I'm sorry. I'm fucking up the system here. But if we were going out of 10, I would give it a 9. I would. Um now it's whether I want to round up or down. Um yeah. and I I think this it's might- that tension, though. That's the choice that you yeah. have to make. That's why it's such a good system, yeah. a five-star system. I honestly think... I honestly think that this might... 
it might be recency bias because when I when, when I love a film in the cinema, I love it for like a week and I can't stop thinking about it. Yeah, but I am gonna give it five star. I think. I, I, okay. I th- I think I I really enjoyed it and as well as that, it introduced me to a new world and th- and that mm. is that is a lot. That's that's a whole star rating in itself. I think. Yeah. No, I I think. I, I could I could see the argument for either one. Personally, I didn't like it quite as much as Blade Runner twenty forty nine. So yeah, for that I reason, see, yeah. I gave it four. But I still, it's a brilliant movie. Mm-hmm. I, I I cannot wait to see the next one. Um, it's in pre production, so I guess we'll see it in like twenty twenty four, probably twenty twenty three, if we're lucky. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that is gonna do it there for us uh, for this week's episode of the best movie podcast ever, which leaves us with one simple question to answer, as we always do, and that is Anthony. What's your favorite movie this week? Favorite movie this week? Um, let's go for Star Wars Episode Two: Attack of the Clones. Oh, okay. Well, I'm gonna pick. I'm gonna pick a serious <laughs> answer and go for June. Uh- <laughs> I knew you were gonna do that. That's why I didn't do it. How dare you? How dare you, Sully? The good name of Listen, this podcast. All I'll say is that this film, although about sand, is not as good as the original one about sand, Attack of the Clones, because this it's like sand. You know, it's like sand. Send your send your emails to Anthony's personal email address, please. For that, I'll I'll link it in the description below. <laughs> Get him, get him attacked. Um, thank you to Nancy Wyatt and Jared Iscariot for the use of our theme song. And check out uh, links to their stuff down in the description below. And thank you to you for joining us. Please consider subscribing. We're the best movie podcast ever on podcasting apps. And we are The Culture Cave on YouTube. Uh, give the show a like and get involved in the comments. It really does help us. And we will see you same time, same place next week. And cut. <laughs> <laughs>